Today's sermon passage is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we are reminded today that not only have you created us, but you have ordered all of history such that your son Jesus would be known and exalted as the king of your kingdom who brings your blessings to your people that last forever. 
And we're humbled to remember and and be renewed in the hope that you've called us your children. You've called us your people. You've given us a place in that kingdom. Lord, today, as we look at Matthew 2, we pray that you would stir in your people faith in you, hope in your son, and joy in being called your children because of Jesus. We pray you would do this, O God. We pray and we plead in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. Feel free to use that this morning. Here at Redeemer, we're studying our way through the book of Matthew. Today, we're in chapter 2. What if that nativity set you get out every December is a bit inaccurate? And what if the real story of the wise men is better than the story of the nativity set? Well, those things are both true, and we're going to see that today in Matthew chapter 2, but that's not really the point. The point of Matthew 2 is this. Matthew is writing to convince his hearers that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the true Son of David, the true Son of Abraham, through whom all the blessings of God flow to the people of God forever. That's his point. And what he did in chapter 1 is he said, let me tell you about his birth and his coming. And what he's going to do in chapter 2 is he's really going to summarize the whole book of Matthew. And he's going to say, let me prepare you for the surprise ending to the story. Because the surprise ending to the story is the king of the Jews came and was killed and rejected by the Jews received and worshipped by the non-Jews, received and worshipped by those who were far from God, received and worshipped by those who were deemed unworthy of God. Matthew's going to prepare his hearers for that truth in such a way that he says, Jesus is the king, while responses to him will vary, nothing will stop the work of God through him. That's what we're going to see driven home to us here in chapter 2. So so the way we're going to look at it is somewhat thematically um, with worshiping Gentiles, fearing Jews, and a living Messiah. So first, worshiping Gentiles. Worshiping Gentiles. So the story begins this way. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Those are important facts. Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And Herod was the king over the Jewish people under the Caesar of Rome. So sometime after the birth of Jesus, later chapter 2 is going to say, close to two years after the birth of Jesus, Wise men from the east arrive in Jerusalem. They, and so wise men from the east arrive in Jerusalem. Now these wise men weren't necessarily kings, but they were a combination of priests and those who told the future in the presence 
of royalty. So these wise men would combine observation and speculation from studying the stars in the heavens to give wisdom to kings and rulers. And they have come to give, to, to find the new king of Israel, the new king of the Jews, verse 2 says, who has been born. And they got here, verse 2 tells us, because a star led them there. A star led them there, and they wanted to worship. So, if you're going to go to a new town you've never been to, to celebrate the new king that had been born, where are you going? We can participate. This service isn't being recorded. Nobody will know that you participated. We're going to go to the palace, right? So they go to the palace, and they say to the king, Hey, congratulations! We heard the new king had been born. I know not what you speak of. No king has been born. So Herod, while not a good man, was not an idiot. And so verse 3 tells us, Herod, the king, pulls together the scribes and the chief priests um, of the Jewish people, and he says to them, hey, Where's the Messiah, the Christ, the King to be born? They study the scriptures and they come back most pointedly from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and they say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So we might hear that and go, oh, well, they totally missed it. They're in Jerusalem, but he's really in Bethlehem. That's like five miles. It's like he's over yonder in Gallatin. Just go a little further down the road and you'll get there. And I know you Hendersonville people are like, oh, no, 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 no. The Messiah is not coming to Gallatin. Most certainly Hendersonville. James, I didn't say they were right. I just said they were saying it. That wasn't in my notes. Um, <laughs> so, so studying the scripture, they say he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is just down the road. So Herod says, I'll tell you what, guys. Coming to Bethlehem, y'all go find him. Y'all go do what you came to do. But if you would, come back and let me know where he lives. I'd love to go worship him too. Um, so we're told... Now, now, hold on, I'm going to stop for a minute because I'm going to make a point later that's going to that maybe be unsettling for some of us. So just notice this. The stars and the scripture got all of them to the king in Bethlehem. We'll come back to that. I'm still orthodox. I'm still conservative. Don't freak out, okay? So Herod says, go find him and let me know where he is because I want to go worship him too. So verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the star they had always been following that had gotten them to Jerusalem gets them to the right house on the right street in the right neighborhood in Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So we're told that these Gentiles, religiously far from God, wise men from the east, physically far from Jerusalem, who study the stars professionally, are led to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship the new king who had been born in the place told by the scripture. And they're led there. And they responded. Remember, far from God religiously. Physically far separated from God's people Israel. And they respond with great joy. With submission falling down. With worship celebrating his greatness. And with gifts fit for a king celebrating and telling of who he is. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the story begins with those who shouldn't have known of the king coming to him. Those who shouldn't have been joyed in finding joy in the king, finding joy in him. Those who shouldn't have submitted to him, submitting to him. Worshipping him and celebrating him. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they left on a different route. So we have a picture of worshipping Gentiles when being drawn to and when facing the king. Let's think about this for a few minutes. Number one. The wise men in this story model for us an appropriate response to the coming king. The wise men in the story model for us an appropriate response to the coming king. Great joy, the Savior's come. Great joy, the Deliverer is here. Great joy, there's hope for us through him. Falling down and submitting to him. Celebrating him. Presenting him with gifts appropriate to a king. There's an appropriate way to respond to and celebrate the coming king who is Jesus the Lord. And these wise men model this for us. Second. These wise men from the very early parts of this gospel story show us that the worship of God's king, Jesus, goes beyond Israel. The worship of God's king, Jesus, goes beyond Israel. It goes into the nations. They came from afar. They submitted to him. They came from afar. They celebrated him. They came from afar. They worshiped him. If they were the only ones, we could just say, oh, what a quaint little story. Or maybe we could even say, well, that was unique and special because God needed to get him some spices for when he died and needed to be, you know, prepared for burial and all those kind of things. But that's not it. 
they're, they're a picture of what's going to happen with the king. The nations are coming to him. Here and there and far away and everywhere, the nations will worship him because he's not just the king of Israel. He's not just a tribal deity. He's not just born in Bethlehem to have a quaint little story of the overthrow of Herod, but rather he's the king of the nations because he's God's true king. The wise men tell of that. I love a nativity set. I have one in my house. Never got that from it. We have the little people's one. They're like plastic and the kids can throw them and you just put them right back. It's beautiful. Third, the wise men tell us that the worship of God's king goes beyond Judaism as practiced in the day. It goes beyond Judaism as practiced in the day. So not only is he not just going to be a tribal deity for the people of the house of Israel, he's not just going to be the priest of the priests who make the Jewish people faithful, but rather the Gentiles, the rejectors of God, those who are far away, they're coming close to. Now notice this. Ultimately, the wise men worshiped the Messiah as revealed in the scripture. But how did God get them there? Through a lecture on the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible that they intellectually submitted to and started reading? No, he used a star which fit into their false approach it fit into their worship. It fit into their thinking. It fit into their philosophy. But he used that to get them to the Messiah, the Son of God. And at the end of the day, the stars are only true because they led him to the king that the scripture revealed. But the work of Jesus is intended to go far beyond the Bible Belt and far beyond the evangelicals and far beyond all the people that dot the I's and cross the T's and have it all together. And anyone who's ever done ministry outside of the U.S. knows that when people in these cultures very far from biblical Christianity come to faith, it never looks like a seminary classroom. And that's okay because it's God bringing people to his son in a way that validates the word that's been given to us. So simultaneously, conservative Christians, we can believe that the Bible is true, the Bible is sufficient, the Bible is right, the Bible is everything we need, and read it, and study it, and we can pray for our friends, and our family, and our co-workers who are far off, that God would bring them into this truth in his ways, in his ways. And it doesn't always fit into our nice, neat, tight, little packages. But we can just pray for it. So God got the wise men there through a star that he planted in the heavens and through a worldview that caused them to look for the star. But he got them there. So I don't celebrate the worldview. So, so don't mishear me today, okay? We're not saying all religions are the same. Untrue. 
Jesus is unique. The gospel is the truth. All other religions fall short. So don't mishear me. We're not saying take a little of that and take a little of that and we all get to the same God. Not saying it. I reject that wholeheartedly. I'm not saying that we're all living in the dark and groping and touching different sides of the elephant. I reject that wholeheartedly. By the way, a handful of you get that, but like that's academic progressive modernism right there. Boiled down to a stupid story about an elephant. We're saying Jesus is the king. We're saying Jesus is unique. We're saying the truth is unique, but we're also saying that the Lord can get people to him however he sees fit because he's the Lord of all truth and the Lord of all things and able to do whatever he wants to. Who's been in Nashville for more than 20 years? Oh, wow, more than I thought. All right, you guys remember the little coffee shop across the street from Belmont? that had the cinnamon roll that supposedly had an image of Mother Teresa in it. Anybody remember this crazy story? (laughs) And like people wept when Belmont bought the coffee shop and tore it down because of the cinnamon roll that had Mother Teresa's image in the middle of it. Now look, there was not an image of Mother Teresa in the cinnamon roll. It just wasn't there. It was yeast and sugar and brown sugar and cinnamon and probably would have tasted good. But they preserved it and wasted some good fatty carbs because they saw Mother Teresa in it. Guys, I'm not making this up, correct? Look, but if the Lord used the cinnamon roll potentially to get somebody to consider Jesus and then they're truly saved, they're stupid and praise the Lord all at the same time. Wow. Okay, we got to go fast. Um, Second point, the fearing Jews. I am not using fear here as um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm using fear as actual afraid, scared, anxious, clinging for power. Herod was afraid of losing his power, and he would stop anything that threatened what Herod wanted, which was absolute authority and power. And so Herod, the king of the ruler over the Jewish people, knew historically, not in the passage, that he was not of the Davidic line and that he didn't have a rightful claim to the throne over Israel. But he took it anyway, made the most of it anyway, elevated himself anyway, but he was aware that the promise was the true, king, the true kingdom belonged to a son of David. And he was aware of the longings of the people to have that king. And so when he heard the king is here, he said, uh-oh, or maybe some words that weren't as fit for a sermon. But Herod was afraid and scared. And so he was going to do whatever he could to eradicate this king. He searched to find out when the star appeared. When the wise men didn't return and give him the exact location. We're told in verse 16 and following. That Herod was so furious and so threatened by the birth of the king that he killed every male in Bethlehem under the age of two. Let's put this together. Why males? Because the king was going to be a male. Why Bethlehem? 
because he was to be born in Bethlehem. And why under the age of two? Because the timeline said he was close to two. That's not how we tell the story every year in December. But that's how the Bible tells it. That's what matters. So maybe God used a whole, an inaccurate nativity set to get you to listen to me today. That was a joke. Sorry. Keep going. Um, Herod kills all the babies. Two and up. So Herod, in this story, is emblematic of the Jewish people. While not a true king, he was the one who reigned over them, and he attempted to eradicate the Messiah. Because Herod valued present power over God's work through Messiah. Now, friends, this is emblematic of rejection of Jesus. Third point, living king. Living king. In spite of the attempt to kill Jesus, at the end of the story, Jesus is alive because Jesus was not in Bethlehem when Herod killed all the boys because God intervened and moved Jesus' family out of Bethlehem and into Egypt where they would be safe from the reign of Herod. So we're told in verse 13, the same angel who had appeared to Joseph in chapter 1 and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, appears and says, now take Mary and the, the, the boy and get out of Israel because bad things are about to happen. There's going to be an attempt to destroy him. Joseph obeys. They go to Egypt. Then Herod kills all the babies, but he doesn't kill Jesus because Jesus is not there. At the appropriate time, verse 19, the angel appears in, the dream, in a dream again to Joseph while in Egypt and says, come back, come back to Israel don't go back to Bethlehem, but go to Nazareth. So we end this story like this. Jesus is alive because nothing will thwart the plans of God, period. Jesus is alive because nothing will thwart the plans of God. So we can trust that nothing will thwart the plans of God. We can trust that Jesus the King will be the King forevermore because nothing will thwart the plans of God. This passage goes deep to say, trust that nothing will thwart the plans of God. He will accomplish his work through Jesus, his son, Jesus the King, Jesus the Messiah. Second, this will happen because God always keeps his word. There's a theme running through this, and some of you biblical scholar types are like, dude, he's talking about the fulfillment of scripture, and you're not even talking about the fulfillment of scripture, and you're wasting opportunity to, to show your people that the Bible fits together. No, we're gonna do it right now, okay? There's a theme running throughout this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Verse six tells us, 
in the fulfillment of scripture. That's Micah chapter five, verse two. Then, rise, take your son, go to Egypt. At the appropriate time, you'll be called back. We're told this is to fulfill the scripture. Spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And if you dig around, you're not going to find a passage about the Messiah being called out of Egypt. This is referring to Israel being called out of Egypt in the Passover. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises to Israel. We can go to lunch to talk about that. Then Herod kills all the babies. We're told in verse 18. When this happened... What was spoken of in Jeremiah 31 was fulfilled. The reality is the hope of the restoration of the people would come through the weeping of Rachel over the loss of her children. And then verse 23, he lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. No one really knows which prophecy that Matthew's referring to. But it was fulfilled. I'm not, I'm not really not trying to be funny. Like this one's a little bit harder. It's not as clear. Probably some assumption and expectation that developed within the community based upon the teaching of the prophets. But Matthew's point is. All of these things were not happening in a vacuum. They were happening in such a way that God's promises in the word would be exalted and extolled and celebrated and believed. This story says Jesus is alive. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus lives and reigns now because nothing will thwart the promises of God. Neither do the decisions of Herod nor the later decisions to crucify him. Nothing will thwart the promises of God. And God always moves to fulfill and keep all of his promises. In the life of Jesus, there's going to be a fulfillment after a fulfillment after a fulfillment after a fulfillment after a fulfillment. Because Matthew is working diligently to say to the Jewish people, see him as your Messiah. See him as your Lord. See him as your King. So friends, I want us to see him as Messiah. See him as Savior. See him as life giver. See him as bringer of hope. See him as the one in whom we trust. Now thus far, Matthew hasn't gotten to dying on the cross to take away sin. He hasn't gotten to rising on the third day to display the power of life over death. But that's all included here. The hope for sinners, Jesus the hope for everlasting life, Jesus. The hope to walk in the blessings of God's promises, Jesus. It's all there. We need him. We cling to him. And let us respond like the Magi in joy and falling down and celebrating who he is. This is the theme of those who walk in the way of Jesus. So now, our Father in God, we pray that you would take these words this morning and as much as they're true, right, or good, we pray you would cause them to be received and believed. We pray you would bear much 
fruit in this room. Lord, I pray you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to you through your son Jesus today. I pray we would find our hope in him. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.